0: The Tablet Show, Episode 81, with guest Chris Sells. Recorded live Thursday, April 18th, 2013. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Chris Sells about developing in WinJS. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at T-E-L-E-R-I-K dot com.
1: And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome back to The Tablet Show. It's Carl and Richard, and we're talking tablets this hour. Chris Sells is coming up. Hey, Richard, what's up? I'm, uh happy and
0: content. You know, I'm at home for just about the end of my stretch at home here. We're going to go on the crazy traveling binge again,
1: aren't we? Oh, and what a traveling binge we're going on. And binge is the right word, Richard.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and although it's technically a bourbon tasting, we do have a designated driver. It is in Louisville, Kentucky, and it yes. is two days long.
0: Yeah, we're going to go to uh Code Palooza, where we're I'm keynoting the one day, you're keynoting the other day. And I think we're going to do a panel discussion while we're there. Yeah. And then, but we also have a couple of days to check out a few bourbon distilleries. Yeah. And uh, we have a driver.
1: And, you know, lest everybody think that we're just going on a two-day bender, we're not. Uh, this is truly a tasting. Okay. <laughs> it's not going to be uh, Carl and Richard get plowed in two days and then show up at Coda Palooza and go, Oh, my head hurts. Yeah. No. I would never admit that our head hurt.
0: Uh, and the moth is going to happen to be in louisville talking about distilleries on the wednesday i love the moth that's amazing i grabbed some tickets so we're gonna go to that
1: the moth is a uh, um, a storytelling podcast and essentially it started as the moth radio hour on npr and then uh, people just get up and they tell stories from real life and they're not professional storytellers they're just people so, it's a, it's a great thing. So, they're going to be there doing it. Doing it a happens show. to
0: be they're going to be on stage at the Brown Theater in Louisville while we're there yeah. doing stories about bourbon distilleries. Yeah. Which I think
1: is really cool. It's crazy. Well, anyway, let's get started with Better Know a Framework. Awesome. This is going to be a little bit different. Today. I like it. And it's going to be a little weird. Okay. Now, I know you guys like science fiction. I like science fiction. Chris, you're a sci-fi fan?
2: I definitely am, yes.
1: You're also a fan of bad movies?
2: Uh, Well, movies that are so bad, they're good. That's
1: what I'm talking about today. If you go to tinyurl.com slash the fantastic planet. Now, this is uh, a film from 1973. It's an animated, uh, directed by a French guy, René uh, Laloux. Uh, And it's about the drogs who are this alien race sometime in the future that are like giants to us and they keep humans as pets. And the humans are called ohms. And the ohms are from uh, this planet Terra, which happens to be Earth spelled backwards. Uh, And it's just the epitome of weird French animation. (laughs) This is odd. It is so odd that you can't stop watching it. And I showed it to my 11-year-old daughter the other day because I have the DVD. I don't know where I found it. It was on a a tape in my house when I was a kid. And uh, she was just like, what the hell is this? (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me of the time that my first daughter, when she was like seven, I was watching Yellow Submarine, you know, The Beatles. Yeah, which is pretty odd. Which is really odd. And she came out and sat down next to me and she's after five minutes, she's like, what is this, dad? And I looked at her. I said, that's kind of like Teletubbies for grownups. <laughs> <laughs> this is on the same par of weirdness. But I would say even weirder than Yellow Submarine. Fantastic Planet. tinyurl.com slash the fantastic planet. Nice. And I've never done that before on Better No Framework. But what the hell? Yeah. OK. It's the, this is the
0: kind of day we're going to have. I'm ready. Mm-hmm.
2: well well carl yeah i have to say you know i haven't seen fantastic planet although it's now on my list but if you scroll down because it your your tiny url goes to an amazon.com page you scroll down and you see the frequently bought together Mm -hmm. it's with right along with wizards yeah which is one of my all-time favorite movies
1: i'm telling you you're gonna love this
2: yeah because and the the cool thing about that is it's this weird mix of animation and live action in a way that they've never done before and they were doing it as an experimentation for the first Lord of the Rings movie which was terrible
0: but the experiment Wizards is awesome very cool I've seen Wizards that's a long time ago too Yes. the animation style also reminds me of the original um, wall uh, uh, Plink Floyd the wall animations and you're
1: gonna get some of that you know, some weird visual effects, some of that stuff in this too. Yeah. Yeah. All
0: that 70s style animation. That's really And the
1: weird wah-wah music in the background is just icing on the cake. <laughs> You're going to love this. All right, Richard, who's talking to us?
0: Hey, I grabbed a comment of a show 80. And that's the one we did with Chris Love when we were talking about the Surface Pro and mobile development and so forth. That's also when you and I were actually together in the studio. How yeah. luxurious. Yeah, the last show. Yeah, the last one we, uh, we did. And mm-hmm. this is a comment from Kyle Schultz who says, I totally agree with Chris about Chrome not playing friendly with the Surface Pro. I, however, have discovered that if you drop down the menu in Chrome and select the relaunch in Windows 8 mode, the browser, while still not as responsive as IE 10, is much better. Alternatively, you can look into Google Canary, mm-hmm. which is a beta browser is a lot more responsive to touch on the surface than standard Chrome is. Yeah. So, nice little insight. Thank you there, Kyle. Just the sort of thing I'm looking for. Someone who figured out ways to make that work. I've been battling with Chrome on various Surface devices as well. So, a Tablet Show mug is on its way to you, and if you'd like a Tablet Show mug, you can write a comment on the website at
1: thetabletshow.com. And with that, let me introduce our good friend Chris Sells. Chris is VP of the Developer Tools Division of Telerik, and prior to that, he was Principal Program Manager on the Visual Studio team at Microsoft working on Metro-style apps for JavaScript. Prior to that, he was program manager for the Microsoft Connected Systems division. He's written several books, including Programming WPF, Windows Forms 2.0 Programming, and ATL Internals. In his free time, Chris hosts various conferences around the world. More information about Chris and his various projects is available at SellsBrothers.com. I believe you were guest number nine on .NET Rocks. I think it's ten. Ten? I was close. This is easily researchable data. hmm
0: <laughs> If you scroll way down, way. Yep. show number 10, December 2nd, 2002. Still one of uh, our favorite shows. Still very frequently downloaded because it's like the reference show for how garbage collection
1: works in .NET. Yeah. And it, you know what's funny, Chris, is that you don't hear people talking about garbage collection so much since 64-bit machines and gobs and gobs of RAM, do you?
2: Actually, it's really funny that you say that because on the blog section of Telerik.com, we just published a kind of how.net garbage collection works article. Uh, wow. You know, tw- 12, 13 years later. Um, and it has taken, it's not written to be viral, right? It's not controversial in any way, but it has taken off um, like a viral article in terms of how popular it is. Isn't that cool? people still really care about how garbage collection works.
0: Interesting. And it has changed, right? I mean, now with multiple cores in the, on the server side, they'll actually distribute uh, garbage collection across multiple processors. Like, it's more sophisticated than it's ever been.
2: It is. Um, and the interesting thing about it is, uh, if you look at what Microsoft is pushing you towards, right, definitely ASP.NET, Azure, right, all of the server side stuff and .NET is alive and well. Um, mm. On the client side, they've given you more options, right? right? They've given you, you know, C-sharp and XAML and .NET for building Windows 8 Metro-style apps. And that is a, still a very viable option. But they've also given you um, uh, HTML and JavaScript and CSS, um, which does not use the .NET garbage collection uh, algorithm, although it has its own, obviously. And uh, then they've also given you C++ and native. So you can uh use reference counting and com and skip all the garbage collection all A
1: dream come true for Mr. Sells.
2: <laughs> it was interesting. Um at uh Developmentor's one and only conference, conference.net, which was an, was epic, by the way, Don got up and gave the keynote and said that uh Chris Sells will um uh be the last C programmer on Earth. Right. <laughs> Yeah. And as it turns out, that's so far from true, I can't even tell you. Um, right. Uh, soon after that, I gave up C++ for C Sharp um, when I built a useful program in an afternoon from scratch um, using networking. And uh, and it just worked. And I was amazed and never yeah. went back to C++. Um, and then since then, I've gone through, you know, CSS and JavaScript and HTML um, in a kind of pretty deep way. And then, uh, on the weekends, I've been, um, experimenting, um, with languages like Mathematica and R and Python.
1: Very cool. So you're Mr. Language these days.
2: I, uh, I've always liked languages. And, yeah. and what happens is I will do research on a certain topic, um, something that catches my eye and spend some time with it. And almost always, whatever the topic is, if you're a programmer for that, um topic there's a language and a set of libraries that most of the people do not everyone right but most and so it's just easiest to immerse yourself in whatever language and programming environment and set of programming tools that they use as a way to understand what they're doing quickly
1: do you think javascript is great as it is as a sort of a dynamic language you know without without types and stuff or do you lo- do you like the way typescript is uh in the direction that's going. Do you do you see JavaScript becoming more like C sharp every day? And do you think that's a good idea?
2: Wow, you just asked like twelve questions in that sentence. Mm. <laughs> um, Pick one. Uh so do I do I think that JavaScript is great as it is? Um mm-hmm. there are several ways to measure that particular uh question, uh that metric, right? Is is JavaScript great. In terms of ubiquity Hands down, it is great. Um, the web platform is more places than any platform has ever been. And if you want to follow the dream of write once, run anywhere, there is no better language than JavaScript along with, you know, the, the U- UI package provided by HTML and CSS. Right. So, right. so from that metric, JavaScript is clearly the best, uh, from a software engineering point of view. Um, it's got to be close to the worst uh and so for ex- i don't know if you heard if you guys heard this little story i'd love to tell about Please do. um uh Brian Harry Brian Harry as you know um in charge of the TFS project at Microsoft and as part of what they and you can read all of this in a blog post in his blog but as part of what um they do they have a web front end mm-hmm. um for TFS and as part of that um The whole thing was built using, you know, uh, the best software engineering techniques they could use to build kind of client front-end JavaScript with unit testing and, you know, all of the checking that they they could possibly do with JavaScript. Um, And they were – they're very confident that it was a very solid implementation. And it took advantage of HTML5 techniques and, and ECMAScript 5 techniques and CSS 3 techniques, and they were very proud of it. Now, one of the things that's, that's interesting about TypeScript, um, which is, you know, uh, Anders Heilberg's, uh, the inventor of C Sharp, his take on JavaScript, right? It's a bunch of additional things built on top of JavaScript, um, is that it is a superset of, of JavaScript. TypeScript is a superset, which means that you can rename your .js files to Dot, uh, .ts files and um you can uh just run them through the typescript compiler and all the typescript compiler does is check as much as it can and output javascript so the typescript compiler was essentially outputting the exact same javascript you give it but it checks as much as it can right and just the act of running that same javascript rename the file extensions through the typescript compiler um found like 5 or 6 major bugs that they had completely overlooked.
1: You wouldn't have found them until somebody hit them on a website, basically.
2: Yeah, I mean they didn't they had done their best to do unit tests, but you can't do 100%. Mm-hmm. And they had done their best to do end-to-end testing and you can't do 100%. Whereas a compiler of course by definition runs through 100% of the code and checks everything um along the way and they had they'd found real major bugs they just had not uncovered and they were just there was they could have over time found them and they probably would have but the beauty of a of a compiler of some kind it's really just a certain class of of checking right and people often say hey in a dynamic environment i only really i can write my unit tests and that's the same as a compiler and in this particular case it wasn't true
1: javascript by default is kind of like old vb's options strict off you know uh no, no type checking. Everything's a variant. So you, you, your tests wouldn't necessarily pick stuff up unless you sent, you know, a string to something that's going to then use a mathematical operator on it or whatever. And the, the code actually might run. It would just give you a weird result.
2: Well, and it's interesting too, because modern implementations of JavaScript actually have something called strict mode where you can turn on, you know, the VB equivalent of, of option explicit uh, true, right yeah um, and that. it will do more checking and it will find some particularly horrible things, but it will only do so at runtime right it can't do there's no comp- compilation mm-hmm. mode right so um you know there is a lot of different ways to measure JavaScript. I know that um, I like the direction that typescript is going. The problem is that um, as it in in typescript, current version, it's a very leaky abstraction. So you very much have to know JavaScript underneath to be able to say, wow, you know, 80% of the time I can just use TypeScript and good things happen in the JavaScript. But 20% of the time you kind of still got to look at what's going on underneath or the behavior won't be as you expect.
0: But not that TypeScript's all that different from JavaScript anyway. It's like JavaScript with types.
2: Well, it isn't except what they do is they add optional typing, which is great, right? You yeah. can say on a function, Hey, not only am I taking X and Y, but they're numbers, mm-hmm. right? And, um, Hey, I'm taking an object, but let me just tell you the methods or properties I expect on this object, right? With a, with an interface definition. And so, so TypeScript layers in this optional ability to provide type information. And the more you provide, the more the compiler can check for you, which is great. Um, and it also has some additional language features for example there is a first class notion of namespace which is called module there's a first class uh, um notion of class which they use the keyword class for um and these are all w- that happens is when you run into these language features is out comes javascript that implements those patterns cuz javascript is flexible enough you can implement all of that and more without any um built in support in the language the problem is Everyone does it slightly different, and so you're spending all your time looking and interpreting these patterns and saying, oh, that's a class definition. Uh, okay, now I know what they're doing, as opposed to just seeing the word class, right? So uh, mm. TypeScript is just generating JavaScript. It's just a bunch of features on top of JavaScript, but they're useful features.
1: And we shouldn't confuse uh, TypeScript with WinJS.
2: WinJS is a library. For bridging the web platform with um, the WinRT platform for building client-side Windows 8 Metro-style applications, it is not a language.
1: Right, and you can use vanilla JavaScript in WinJS. Can you not? Uh, in fact, WinJS is built in vanilla JavaScript. Is that your question? I mean, what what is the percentage of stuff I can use that you know somebody has a JS file that does something? uh and i just want to copy that and paste it into my app and have it run i guess you know anything that is going to use ui is going to uh be suspect but um just standard javascript libraries that do stuff uh you know without being visual
2: actually all the ui stuff will work too and in fact i will go so far as to say 99% of the code and libraries um for javascript or HTML or CSS that you find on the web that you drop into a Windows 8
1: um, application will run as you expect. That's the number I'm looking for, my friend. Ninety-nine percent. The one
2: percent are things where the security model is different, right? For example, a standalone apps um, in Windows 8 have this I- uh, idea of a manifest, and you can say, "I have s- this app requires certain capabilities." B- b- provided for me by the platform. Um, for example, I need internet access. I need intranet access. Um, I need, you know, access to the file system. I have files of a certain type. I need to be able to read them and write them, things like that, right? Uh, which is not at all how websites work. Um, and so, thing, things like, um, you know, cross-site scripting, which is which is verboten when you're building um, web pages is um, allowed. If you set the right capability on a standalone windows eight app. Um, And in fact, it's checked by default in all the templates because it's such a common thing to want to do.
1: And you're already in a sandbox. You don't have to worry about. uh... Yeah,
2: it's just there. It it just works. And then when the user installs the app, they see, Oh, this app needs internet access. And the user can say, yes, no, right. I'll install that. I won't install it based on that information. Whereas, for example, the way to work around, you know, the lack of cross-site scripting on a web page is to actually generate a dynamic script tag. Right. Right, and to essentially have the generated JSON on the server side call you back, yeah. um, and that's somehow more uh, um, secure, which I don't understand, but there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is explicitly disallowed by default in standalone um Uh, HTML applications. In fact, gener, um, parsing dynamic HTML from the internet at all, um, JavaScript or HTML at all is, um, by default turned off. So the reason that's important is because, um, unless libraries, you know, are able to do both, um, styles, uh, you won't be able to use that particular part of it. For example, the, the jQuery, um, uh, Implementation of AJAX had to be updated so that you could use it right. um, with you know WinJS apps, right?
1: But that's just downloading your library instead of the one that you're normally doing. All right, so so just I want to go back to this ninety-nine percent thing. So if I've developed an app for our website, let's say, and it's all JavaScript, HTML5, CSS, and it runs perfectly fine in all the browsers, I can simply just sort of drop that into and a uh, Windows 8 project in visual studio 2012 wave my magic wand and and boom it's a a a windows 8 app
2: yeah it's uh you will pretty much be able to do that um you just have to fix up the references right right? because many references you find in html will pull in css files and they'll start http colon whack whack right and i'll pull in a css file from the web or i'll Mm -hmm. pull in a javascript file from the web um, and you don't want to do that, right? You want to put those JavaScript files and your CSS files in on the local machine as sure. part of the package that you install. Sure. So once you fix up the references, you are going to be 99% there. It will just
1: work. And there's no XAML. There's no nothing. You don't have to use the, the WinRT libraries if you don't want to.
2: There are extensive WinJS libraries as well as WinRT libraries. And yeah. the WinRT libraries are 99% non-UI, right? They're accessing the file system, they're accessing the functionality of the platform, but not UI components. The the UI model of Windows 8 Metro style apps are built on top of the uh, UI platform. So if you're using XAML uh, for building Windows 8, you've got a bunch of XAML controls. And Mm. if you're using JavaScript and HTML for building Windows 8, you've got a bunch of JavaScript and HTML controls and for JavaScript and HTML, those are actually implemented in WinJS. That's right. part. In fact, that's the largest part of WinJS.
1: Yeah, very cool.
2: But you don't have to do that, right? You could bring in jQuery and jQuery UI or Kendo UI or, you know, Mustache or, or underscore or what, um, you know, Angular, whatever right. of those things that you want. You can pull them in and build the app
1: this portion of the tablet show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free, free, not a trial, not a demo, but free complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik forums. From free ASP.NET Ajax, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.comslash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting the tablet show. Chris, isn't a real wrestling match
0: here trying to decide, should I just leave this running in the browser versus doing all the steps to compile it and run it into the machine itself as an app?
2: Well, so that's actually um, not the controversial question. That's easy to answer. The que- that that's easy to answer because it's, it's, can I, you know, is it a good enough for, you know, me to have a, a website that works well on these various mobile platforms and they right. have a URL, right. And it's the same, it's essentially the same modulo, you know, responsive UI techniques, right. It's mm-hmm. essentially the same app no matter where I go through the browser. Yep. Right. Is that good enough? Or do I want to take that same app, drop it into an Apex file, which is the packaging format for Windows 8, and stick it in the store. And if I stick it in the store, that's a whole other way that people have of discovering it. And if I stick it in the store, I get all kinds of models for monetizing that I don't have on the web.
0: Mm. Well, and it seems to me that people won't pay for web
1: pages, but they will pay for apps.
0: Mm.
2: Exactly right. Exactly right.
1: Plus, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you can do in an app that you can't do on a website.
2: Well, the, and that's the other layer, right? So now once you've taken whatever it is that you have that you've made work really well on the web and you've just dropped it, if that's your plan, you've just dropped it into an Apex. Now, because you're there and running on the local machine, you have access to the literally uh, thousands of APIs provided by the WinRT and you can light up, right? You can um, notice that these function, this functionality is available because it's JavaScript. You can say, hey, if I have this function... I can send notifications. If I have this function, I can integrate with the other apps with sharing or um, contact picker or the file picker or 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 right? There, there's all yeah. kinds of things that you can do to integrate with the platform. Now the other piece, this is the more controversial piece, is okay, if but if I'm going to package my app and put it on Windows 8, don't I want it to look and feel? Like a Windows 8 Metro-style app?
1: Right. Well, and that was my next question, which is, you know, don't we have the VB1 syndrome here where because you can do anything you want in JavaScript, they all tend to look different? And so, you know, taking something that looks like great in a browser and unique and making that look like, a you know, a a Metro-style app, that, that seems to me to be where the challenge is.
2: Right. And so, and that's a matter. It's, it's really those two big things, which is, hey, I can integrate with the shell and other apps via the WinRT. And, um, I can choose to build UI that looks and feels like the rest of the apps, uh, Mm -hmm. that are Metro style.
0: Well, and then, and if you are actually trying to build a cross platform app there, that rewrite into Metro, that's not a trivial thing. I don't even think I'd want to try to take that on in HTML.
2: Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. Um, the beauty of the fact that Android was really just a ripoff of iOS, right, um, means that it's relatively easy to build a set of controls where it can notice, hey, am I running on iOS? I will show myself as an iOS control and and swap in the right um, HTML and swap in the right CSS styles and things like that. Oh, I'm running on Android. Oh, I'll make it look like Android. And and in fact, you know, Telerik has a has Kendo UI Mobile, which is all about doing just that, and and other vendors have similar products. Um, But it gets a lot harder when you start trying to build one UI that looks great on iOS and Android, which are essentially the same, and Metro, which is very different, and engineered to be very different.
1: You know, that brings up the question, should we make apps that look the same? Uh, Because, you know, sort of there's an idea going around lately about we should have the look and feel of our app support our brand, not support Apple's brand or, or Android's brand or Microsoft's brand. We should have an app that functions, you know, along the same sort of way, but maybe looks like us instead of them.
2: Sure. And now you're, now you're talking about, um, you know, Metro is just a visual language, right? Mm. Um, that is the Microsoft way of presenting UI. Um, and it's the Windows 8 way. But, of course, Facebook has their own, sure. and Netflix has their own, and Hulu has their own, right? And so, uh you know, if I'm running TripIt, I know I'm running TripIt, no matter what platform I'm running it on. Right, right?
0: yeah. It's like if you've gone to the trouble of establishing a brand and a style, you're going to maintain that style. Who cares what the OS wants? Sure, sure. Although, Fourth and Mayor mm. is a better Foursquare app, then the Foursquare app, by a long way.
2: Well, and it's interesting, too, because you see these third parties that show up um, on the platform, and they were built just for that platform, but they use the API provided by the back end. For example, MyTrips on Windows Phone 8 is far better client than the TripIt client.
0: Totally agree. And I use it, too. It it is is exactly what I was thinking.
1: Yeah. Now, Richard, why is Forth and Mayor a better app? Is it because the UI is unique? It's the fewest number of keystrokes to do what you want to do. Okay.
0: Right. And, and it's the same thing with my trips too. It's like these apps, the guy got the metro metaphor and surfaced the data that was most important to you. So, you know, when I hopped, I, for a while there, I, I I've got a Nexus 4 phone. And I just tried out Android for a couple of weeks and I just found it so clunky to use the native apps for these services and compared to what i'd gotten used to on my wind
1: phone and is that because they were sort of made to look like android apps and they didn't uh, take into account the uh, you know the the app itself i think so
0: i think that you, you know it, i think that honestly the guys who build foursquare are good at running the back end of foursquare more than they are about building clients yeah. that the whole thing about Jeff Wilcox and Fourth and Mayor, the guys between my trips, is that they, they were a uh, totally client side guys and they thought about the client quite differently. Mm-hmm. Cool.
2: Whenever there's a new technology, right? People, um, are going to spend a bunch of time to figure out what is the right way to take advantage of it. For example, you know, text, um, and fonts, right? When the, when the Mac came out and you could suddenly have 27 fonts in your documents, we eventually learned that really you probably only wanted two, right? But initially, you know, all of the documents look like ransom notes, right? Yeah. You fast forward to, you know, um, WPF and you could absolutely do anything with WPF. And we did a bunch of crazy things and then we standardized on a, on a set of things that made sense. And, and, um, you know, the web went through that too, a bunch of crazy things and, now websites kind of you have a feel of of what they're gonna look and feel like. oh but, but this idea of what if I'm gonna build not just a website, but an app that is gonna go on every single platform. And and I spend a lot of time with developers um, on this question. And most of them, you talk to them and they build the app three times. Yeah. They build it native and they have different teams that build the app three times. And what you get is an app that um, uh, looks pretty good on all three of those platforms. But as you explore um, this idea of a hybrid app with a single set of, of HTML, CSS and JavaScript and a little bit of client detection that says, Oh, I'm running on Android. I'm going to do it the Android way. Right. Um, you can get pretty damn close. And I have um, installed and run, apps that I happen to be I happen to know have been built you know with PhoneGap and and you know HTML and CSS and I cannot tell. It mm. it looks and feels like a native app to me.
1: Can I bring you back to um Metro being a design language? Because this yeah. idea about um you know uh enforcing your own brand and at the same time being quote unquote metro style. And you know how possible is that and how can you give me some examples of apps that do that well? You know, because I look at the because I look at the templates and the stuff that you can build, you know, without too much styling and whatever, and they all look the same. But y- obviously, we want to know that this is a, a Metro app. But uh, but how can I take steps to make it my own?
2: Yeah. So so it's interesting. So I look at the set of templates that um, Microsoft provided on the WinJS space, and. You know, I led the team that built those templates, right? So I'm, I'm hardly unbiased, yep. right? But Microsoft did something that was different there, which is they provided little mini fully functional apps where even the data, the static data is meant to be in a data model that simulates what you might actually do to build an app. So you can literally with a dozen lines of code, turn, you know, the grid or the split templates into real live dynamic data apps by going to, you know, the data.js file and throwing away the static data and Hmm. pulling in dynamic data from Hmm. the web. Hmm. You get a fully functional app in about a dozen lines of code, which is pretty cool. And it's a great way to bootstrap yourself to get to where you want to start playing with. Great. Now I've got functionality. It's a real app. Now what do I want to do with it? Now you take that next step and you load that app into blend and blend and JavaScript um for windows 8 are the most amazing combination ever because what you get when you load um a project a javascript project into blend is that Java, a blend will be running your app all the time hmm. so that means that you're pulling in live data right and you're interacting you can flip a sw- switch and all of the design templates uh, all the design you know uh property browsers and project browsers and file projects browsers just go away. And I'm when I click on things, I'm actually running the app. And I can get three layers deep in my app and go, oh, the style of that's not the way I want. I flip the Frankenstein switch back. (laughs) I've got all of my palettes back. Now when I click on something, now I'm setting the properties of it, the CSS properties, the HTML properties. And I can wander through my app and style it and update the look for it and bring in new elements and attach live data to them and I can do this all interactively with real live running code and real live running data at the same time. There is no, um, ex, you know, there's no edit, uh, execute, debug cycle. There's right. just edit and run is one thing. It's always happening. And until you do this, until you set and you sit and you edit a live running interactive app, you have no idea what productivity really looks like. Wow. Because, oh, my God.
1: That's really cool. (laughs)
2: And so, with that capability, now you have all the freedom in the world to just, you know, bring in the background screens and your company's assets and set your colors and styles and fonts and do it all interactively until you can look at that and go, ah, that's what Netflix is supposed to look like. That's Uh, what I want.
1: Got it. How much of uh, a designer have you become lately?
2: Well, so, I am no kind of designer. But what I can do is I can look at things and go, wow, that's really cool. And with blend in CSS and HTML, I can build it.
0: Yeah. And, it, and, you know, there are different themes. Like you can pick up skins and stuff and flip between them to see what you like.
2: Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, uh, tool sets like Kendo UI, um, which is from my company. You know, you have uh, online interactive theme rollers where you can set all the styles and the colors and you can see what all the controls are going to look like. And then you download that set of CSS and drop it into your app and boom, your app looks like that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Have you noticed, I've, I've been seeing the news a lot lately, some of the big players, their new apps are all native. Like just out the news today was LinkedIn's got new apps for iPhone, Android, WinPhone, and they've gone native where they used to be, I think they were phone gap apps before. Yeah, they were. They were hybrid and they moved to native. Absolutely. I have seen that. To fully native. And the apps aren't that different, but they are faster. And uh, the big thing, of course, we're talking with LinkedIn is now they've sort of, you clearly see they're doing promotion, they're selling ad space.
2: Well, so it's interesting. Um, in my experience, what I have found is... Um, a couple things. One, a lot of people that sit down to use HTML and CSS and JavaScript to build standalone client apps yep. have trouble because it's a different mindset. It is not the same as building um, a server-side generated uh, website. Mm-hmm. So you have to do it differently. You have to think about moving data around as opposed to moving UI around. So, for example, when Facebook went, oh, my God, we moved from hybrid to To um native Native. because um you know HTML5 just wasn't ready. Well, you dig into the way they were doing things and it was all wrong. And in fact, somebody went and they built you know an HTML5, a hybrid app that did it right and it was zippy as hell, right? And there was no. Yeah. And and you know, LinkedIn, um uh who who knows? I haven't dug into the way they built their HTML version, so I couldn't tell you if they're doing it right or wrong. I am firmly of the belief um, that HTML5 and JavaScript and CSS um, is up to the job for practically anything you want to build. I mean, if you you can run um, versions of Quake that have been compiled from C to JavaScript and are hosted on a canvas
0: at full speed, hmm.
2: if you can do that, I think you can do a freaking uh, LinkedIn. That is
1: just amazing.
0: Right. It is pretty awesome but you know that's still talking native javascript running in the browser i worry about the overhead of the hybrid piece of the phone gap piece or of the app mobi piece
2: well sure and of course um again these things the the one of the things that we have been able to get away with on the html side for decades is the fact that the browser assumes that you will wipe the slate clean as you move from page to page so the um nobody has had to worry about the fact that you're just going to stay on the same page for the same time. And now who's going to clear out the memory, right? right? We're just not aggressive enough in terms of tearing out resources that we're no longer using. And so that's where libraries like WinJS are really helpful, right? Because WinJS, knows that it's going to be used on the client side, it knows that it's going to have dynamic data and UI, and it knows about reclaiming those resources aggressively, Mm. because that app could be running for minutes or hours or days. And it's really only one instance of one page, as far as the browser is concerned. So it has to do the right thing with the resourcing, as opposed to you know, oh, the user is going to click on a link in a second anyway. We're going to throw away all that memory and reclaim all those resources, and we'll start over again on page two.
1: Speaking of that, what is the story for, uh, for garbage collection in JavaScript? Because <laughs> I never even thought garbage collection JavaScript in the same sentence.
2: Sure, sure. So um, you hit
1: the back button, and that's a GC dot <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's, it's funny, of course, but, um, uh, you know, the, the Java VMs have been very public about how they do, um, garbage collection because it was a big deal. And the, um, you know, dot net has, you know, talked a lot over the years about how they do garbage collection because you have to tune it because mm-hmm. it's a big deal. Yep. But it hasn't been a topic of conversation. On the browser side, until very recently, right? So I couldn't even tell you. I th- I think they do a combination of of um, uh, reference counting and uh, generational mark and sweep. But I honestly don't know what the current rage in in garbage collection algorithms for the browser is. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. shocked indeed. I know. I'm <laughs> <know>. shocked. <laughs> I
1: know. Well, you know, I—it's I, just because that people are loading stuff in with JavaScript now. I mean, the the kinds of things that we're doing are so sophisticated. You know, especially you were just talking about a crazy game that you would think about playing off a of CD-ROM. You know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Did you just say CD-ROM? I really? said
1: CD-ROM. <laughs> you mean that
0: thirty-year-old technology CD-ROM? That, that one. That yeah. one.
1: <laughs> DVD, yes. CD, disc, it's all the same to me.
2: <laughs> but I got to say, I mean, as, we, as you see folks move, because uh, I read that article about LinkedIn. And, yeah. and a, a lot of what they said, by the way, boils down to understanding and managing memory um, in an HTML hybrid app. What they said was, um, you know what, HTML and CSS and JavaScript is there. We can build kick-ass apps with that technology. What's not there is the tooling infrastructure that is, that builds up around it Mm. that allows us to track things like where the hell's the memory going and how do I get it back? Yeah. Right. And that's the issue they're running into. Whereas, of course, from a, um, a native point of view, of course, that's a, that's not even a consideration because of apps are known to run for, you know, minutes and hours and days at a time. And so, you know, there are profilers and, and tools that can help you with that. Whereas, you know, s- this idea of, of app, standalone client app, you know, as single page web application, right? This is new and we just yeah. don't have the infrastructure yet.
0: Well, and just trying to run a profiler on a phone. Right. Right. Yikes. Because I, I just don't, wouldn't buy that you could run it in an emulator because you're not going to use it right. Right.
2: Right. Huh. And of course, um, Telerik has some tools in this area, but it's still, it's still growing. It's still expanding to take, um, you know, all of these considerations. And as I say, right, as we evolve this technology more and more, people are going to want to, it, there'll be a, a, a better balance, I think, between people that want to say, you know what? We're going to build this app and we're going to get it out to as many platforms as we possibly can. And it's, and that'll either be, uh, a permanent thing, in which case, great. It worked great. Or it'll be a temporary thing where people get to a certain volume or a certain performance they need or a certain bit of control or a certain bit of interaction with the platform. And they'll want to switch to native from, from hybrid. Right. And, mm-hmm. and right now from the people who are trying it, a bunch of people are switching in a very public way that you can see. A bunch of people are just not switching and we just don't hear about it. Right. I think over time, the tools and the infrastructure and the platform will mature to the point of view where I think it's going to fit the classic 80-20 rule, right? 80% of the time, HTML and CSS and JavaScript are, uh, in a, this hybrid way are just going to solve the problem. Um, and then 20% of the time you'll really want to tune, right? You'll really want to get as close to the metal as you can.
0: Yeah. I just don't know how native developments even now that close to the metal per se either. It's closer.
2: Yeah. I mean, it. right. If you look at .NET, it's not really close to the metal. It's just that it's been optimized for building apps where yeah. you know, the web platform has not.
0: Yeah. That, I think the more relevant part here is the way you manage memory and the way you execute in a space and the way you uh, hydrate and dehydrate. I mean, maybe this is only a wind phone thing, but I really worry about these hybrid environments where you flip away from it, and then it dehydrates it, and you know how well it reloads the memory afterwards. There's some apps that do not recover well. Sure. So it's it's just not that simple. But I really I get your your thinking here, Chris. That it's about how this app runs now, and the, and how those tools lend to that. Developing on the web, you're used to very short lifespans, a couple of minutes at most, and you just don't have to worry about a lot of this stuff. We haven't thought enough about it.
1: This goes back to you know why people don't talk so much about garbage collection anymore. You know the default uh, in IIS anyway. The you know the default timeout for recycling your process is what, Richard? It's like a day or something, isn't it? Like twenty five hours. Yeah, twenty five (laughs) hours. So every twenty five hours, you get restarted whether you like it or not and that just takes care of a world of problems
0: yeah <laughs> if we just reboot routinely you know you know if the phone's no better right it's true how many days do you go without your phone restarting on you
1: i'll tell you i have to restart my phone just to get certain apps out of memory because the standard ways to remove them hitting the back button on a windows phone doesn't work yeah
0: so
2: it's interesting you guys say that um I was just talking to, uh, one of the evangelists on my team and he was having some network connectivity issues. And I said, you know, in the old days, the way we'd solve this problem is, you know, every six months, we'd just wipe the, the hard drive clean and we'd reinstall Windows. That's right. And then suddenly <laughs> it would be like a brand new machine again. You're right? a genius. And then, and then it would, you know, the cruft would, would collect. And then, you know, six months later, you'd have to do it all over again. I haven't. Uh I can't remember the last time I had to repave on a Windows seven machine, let alone a Windows eight machine. And I'll tell you, uh it's very rare that I have to reboot my Windows phone. Mm.
0: And in, I'm not gonna pick on any one device, you know. Uh in my time with Android showed that every so often it goes off into La La Land two. You know, every device yeah. has its thing. It's but it's not it's not routine, it's occasionally yeah
2: yeah so I notice depending on the software and the upgrade I'm on on my Nexus seven sometimes it runs great for a long time. sometimes it's a couple of times a day I gotta reboot it the then.
0: That's the way it goes, yeah I definitely think there's some software out there that makes things sulky. I'm not sure what it is
2: that's the 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 downside of Android being so open about that platform right You get a one misbehaving piece of software on there and it you know one Apple spoils the whole bunch right yeah
1: yeah. Well, I like I said, I listen to a lot of podcasts and music, and that is like a background app on the Windows phone, and it likes to just play, you know? So there's this thing where the last thing you listen to when you get in your car, suddenly you're listening to it again, and you press stop, and you go back, and then you, you know, you, you get out of your car, and it starts again so really yeah there's some weird thing going on with audio or something now granted there is an update that i have to uh install maybe it'll hmm. take care of that
2: the the only time i've had that problem um and i wouldn't say it's a problem is a i, I call it a feature not a. some blog, people which like is, it
1: yeah as a feature
2: as i go between you know the bluetooth in my car and then you know walk into my house right um i turn off the bluetooth and the music keeps playing it just plays through the speaker on my phone
1: Right, but if I've already listened to it and it's stopped, why should it play again? Ah, uh, yeah, that sounds like a bug to me. Yeah, that sounds like a bug. I know we, there's an issue around Bluetooth with Windows Phone eight. Right, it's the stack. It, that's what basically we came to the conclusion that it is the stack. Guys, we need to stop. I think we're uh, we're <laughs> having too much fun. We're boring the the listener. I'm sure. <laughs>
2: well so i was I was just about to give you a startling admission that I have, but if you don't want to hear it, then that's totally fine. Well, of course you have to give it to us now. okay, so I bought so I had a Nexus seven, which I absolutely loved, but the the killer feature it didn't have that the iPad mini had is that um there was no 4G, right so I couldn't be connected all the time hmm. so I liked my Nexus seven a lot, and I used it a lot. But it wasn't always connected. Now I have an iPad mini with the 4G option and it's connected all the time, no matter if I'm at the Wi-Fi at home or wherever or I'm out and about. And just that one feature makes such a huge difference to me that now I'm, I bring this thing wherever I go and I find myself shopping for accessories for it, right? I've been <laughs> through two leather cases. And I went to DodoCase.com and I custom ordered a a case that wraps my iPad Mini and makes it um, look like a book with my initials on it. And so I'm using these different cases, and I bought just the right stylish slash pen so that I c- it could go with my iPad. And I'm bringing, and this, there's little slots for credit cards and things. Yep. And I have some paper shoved in there in case you know the the flight attendant tells me to shut off my iPad, and I have <laughs> a great idea. Or and I realize that this this thing, which my girlfriend calls my magic book, <laughs> it's it's become my electronic man purse. <laughs> right I accessorize it I have different cases for it to make it look different I bring it with me wherever I go do you
1: have a pocket for it in your utility kilt <laughs>
2: hey I have a utility kilt
1: I know we wrote a song about it Ror- <laughs> Rory did anyway
2: <laughs> but all I bring right. this thing with me wherever I go and I'm like but oh but it's my the gosh, connectivity that's color. the thing
1: yeah the connectivity is all about it yeah wow
2: I also have my uh, Lumia 920, which I absolutely love, in my pocket. But I still carry this damn iPad mini with me wherever Mm. I go.
1: It's good. Just a little bit bigger. All right, my friend. Thank you, Chris. It's always good to talk to you.
2: All right, guys. Talk to you. All
1: right. We'll see you on the next road trip in your backyard. Absolutely.
2: I've been using the grill, so I'm happy to have you guys.
1: This time, we're bringing a smoker.
2: (laughs) Uh, uh, There's a smoker built into the... Grill, you dropped off at my house Well, last then we're talk.
1: bringing some hickory. There you go. Do that. I think we brought you some hickory, didn't we? Uh, yes, we well, did. Well, we'll just have to show up earlier so that we can actually smoke something. Cool. There you cool. go. We'll see you guys later. Thanks a lot. Bye. All right. We'll see you next time on The Tablet Show. It's not too much.